0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of FNI Rap Chat with myself, Paul Butler-Lennox and Paul Webster. Uh, we do really appreciate all your positive comments during this uh, time, not only in terms of the podcast, but also uh, for our FNI at home events, which we've been running weekly and bi-weekly over the last number of weeks of lockdown. So we really appreciate that. Hope you're all keeping well, as well as can be expected. Um you know, it's all coming to an end now, so uh, stay the course, kind of crack. Uh, we're nearly there, and uh, everybody should be really proud of themselves uh, for this momentous kind of effort in kind of an unprecedented time in history. So, uh, very well done, everyone, and um, particularly film and TV people. Um, so, yeah, this week we have uh, a really brave and uh, tremendously talented young actor. From Dublin uh, by the name of Ashling Franchese um, who if uh, you've been following kind of international film and TV over the last couple of uh, years you'll know that uh, she's been kind of making waves abroad uh, in the UK and over in the States um, her credits are really impressive um, obviously uh, she was in the fall Game of Thrones, Genius um, I Know This Much Is True the new TV show with Mark Ruffalo and mo- most impressively of all is her leading performance in uh, The Nightingale uh, by Jennifer Kent, who directed previously The Babadook. It's a really brave performance um, um, and a really, really uh, important movie to watch. Um, if you haven't had a chance, check it out um, over the next kind of few months. Um, so, yeah, we're really excited about that. Previously, um, uh, check back in on some of our other episodes. Our most recent chat with uh, Lenny Abramson, director of Normal People, uh, where he chats all things uh, <laughs> all things Joe Duffy uh, and the furor that it caused. So yeah, he also chats about Steve Murray's uh, brilliant <laughs> parody video as well, which I think we all enjoyed. Yeah. So yeah, check that out. Uh, you can subscribe to F&I Rap Chat on uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, the Head Stuff Podcast Network and it's brought to you by Film Equipment Store and our pals at Wildcard Distribution. Uh yeah. So yeah. Uh keep an eye out for other future events, uh, online events, classes, seminars and online speed networking on www.wearefni.com and if you'd like to support Film Network Ireland, head on over to www. Buy me at coffee.com forward slash FNI.
1: Be lucky today. Joined all the way from New York. Uh Joining us today is Ashling Francesi. Am I saying that correctly?
2: So close.
1: Ashling <laughs> um, Francesi. I was working on that for ages. I even, I even talked to a maid of mine, an Italian maid of mine from Milan. There, I was like, just, I don't want to fuck this up, and I fucked it up.
2: Hey, to be honest, I had a moment of surprise because I'm so used to hearing my first name being butchered that it's nice to hear it actually being pronounced. Property, which obviously you would know how to do, so that's that's the main.
3: How did they say it in in New York? Ailing.
2: Ailing's the main one. Ailing is a bad one. Um, yeah, there there are quite a few ailing. I got a lot of ailing.
1: Yeah, what what ails you? Uh, how's your lockdown going? What's it like in New York? It's I believe it's a different breed of animal over there altogether.
2: Um, I mean, in terms of numbers, yes, it's pretty grim. Um, but in terms of the day to day. I'm well aware that I'm very lucky, but I mean, it, it, yeah, we, we, there's no kind of, it's not like in Italy. I have family in Italy and it's not like it is there and that you don't get a fine if you go outside. You're still allowed to go for walks and exercise. Um, and I think you can have meetings with like people, a groups of less than five people at a social, like, an acceptable social distance. But so I'm just going for walks and, and baking loads as everyone else seems to be doing and <laughs> cooking. Um, <laughs>
3: yeah. Is there, any talk like we're kind of working in phases and stuff? Is there any talk of phases or release or that kind of thing?
2: Yeah, Governor Cuomo said that there were going to be some, I think, three parts of the state that were going to be able to slowly open back up. But I highly doubt that Manhattan or New York City is going to be one of those <laughs> areas included because it's, you know, New York City is one of the worst parts of the state. So, um, yeah, I'm keeping my expectations low. That's the way I think is the best way to go about it.
3: <laughs> Are you kind of continuing? Are you able to do self-tapes and that kind of thing?
2: Uh, I mean, the work front has really slowed. I did a couple, but even there, it was things where, you know, in the, in the brief, it would say, planning to shoot in Puerto Rico in July. <laughs> I was thinking, ah, that's pretty optimistic, I would say. <laughs> but sure, let's just, you know, do this. It, it's always nice to get a bit of, you know, practice in and, uh, not forget how to do it. <laughs> but, um, no, work, work has really slowed, I think, for, obviously for everyone. I mean, it, I kind of don't go down that route of thinking how they'll get around it. Obviously, it's not like actors can be wearing face masks and gloves, um, when at work. So I'm not really sure how they'll, um, go about getting back to the film industry being the way that it was, if it will, um, I'm, I'm optimistic. Of course, we, of course be optimistic, but um, I try not to go down that rabbit hole because it leads to dark place pretty quickly. So <laughs> I'm like, maybe I could become a baker instead.
1: <laughs> well, but, yeah, devil makes work for idle hands, right? Regardless of circumstances. Um, how did it all happen for you, acting?
2: Uh, I knew I wanted to do it since I was six years old. It's crazy. I listened to a lot of podcasts. And uh, anytime I hear an acting, it's like, yeah, I just kind of, I wasn't planning on doing it at all. I kind of fell into it and I thought, wow, that must have been such a different and interesting route to getting to, uh, to acting. But um, no, I knew since I was about six years old. And I think at the time, my family, my parents in particular, obviously were thinking, yeah, okay, sure, you do. Hoping that at some point I would change my mind. Um, but I didn't. But I, I was, I did like school um, and I was pretty academic. So um, my parents just asked me to. Get the best leaving shirt that I could, so I could have a backup, and to like do a degree first. And so I almost did that. <laughs> um, I only left college when I was in my fourth and final year, halfway
1: through.
2: Wow. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so kind of when I was late, basically any choice I made in school was to facilitate having getting the best leaving shirt I could, because I definitely I like, wanted to give acting a shot. And then um, I said, okay, if I go to college, the agreement is that if opportunities come up, I'm going to take them because you know it's not. It's not that easy to get a chance in, I think. So I, I did a Christmas show in the Gate and then over the next couple of years kind of juggled that with study. And then when I had a bigger part in a show called Little Women at the Gate, um, I invited my agents in. They decided to represent me and from there I got the fall and it kind of went from there. Um, and then, yeah, as I say, in my fourth year, I um, was given an ultimatum by my head of department and I decided to leave. <laughs>
3: Was that a, a kind of a scary decision or was it easy?
2: Uh, it was a good early life lesson, I think, for someone uh, who wants to go into this career because it wasn't scary insofar as the job that I was leaving for was a show called Quirk with uh, Gabriel Byrne and it was, you know, BBC, one of the big roles, prime time. So I thought, well, if I'm going to leave college for anything, a good, decent role and a, like, good quality show is the way to go Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Um, so from that point of view though the decision wasn't difficult I thought I'm not going to give up this chance Um, I'm someone who likes to finish things that I start so from that point of view I did find it a little bit disappointing to not get to finish my course especially when I was so close to being done and because I had so few classes I think I only had six hours of classes a week um, and I was planning on doing my dissertation on film as well Spanish film but, um, yeah, and then so I left and I had a great experience, learned loads. Uh, Gabriel is unbelievably wonderful and lovely. And there were positives that came out of it, but as a show, it didn't really land the way that people hoped it would. It didn't really, you know, we, there were an, it's an adaptation of the Benjamin Black book and there were seven of those books. I, I have a suspicion that initially they were thinking if these first three go well, we'll do the rest of the seven, but we didn't. <laughs> Um it was, yeah, a good lesson in kind of not uh, having too big of an expectation of any project. Not that I was going into it thinking, I'm gonna start, it's not that at all. But I thought, oh, like this might lead to something else. And it didn't in a way that I could clearly see anyway. Um, but I learned loads and it was a good experience. And ultimately, I didn't regret leaving college. Mm.
1: Um, how Now, obviously, you've, you've gone on to kind of bigger and brighter things over the years but the last couple of years. How how do you deal kind of with rejections and the knocks? I'm sure you've had kinda of a lot of close calls with, with some other excellent stuff as well. How would what kind of how would you deal with that?
2: I think generally I'm gonna allow myself to say that I'm pretty good at it. Um I, but I think that that's more so because there are actually very few projects that I really, really, really 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 fall in love with. Um mm. You know, there are ones that you do because they're a list of pros or because you need the money or because you just want to be working, which is obviously a really good reason to do it. But then there are the ones that just grab you and you would do anything to do them. And those ones are the ones that really stay. And, you know, I had one of those unbelievably recently. And um, it, is, it is tough because even as as much as people say, you know, it's not personal and it, it, it's true and it really is true. And the more that you go through it and the closer you get in every stage and, and the higher level the project, it really comes down to things like it could be that a producer who seemed to have more and more power now in making casting decisions, you know, they could have something that they want, even if the director loves you, you know, the director doesn't, well, apart from a few, they really don't have all of the say in who gets cast, even if they love you or you know, it could be that you, you don't have a big of Instagram following or whatever it is, and you can't get a film green Um, So I've had both experiences where I've been that person where I shouldn't be the one getting the role in terms of, like, getting some from finance, like with The Nightingale. Like, I think many, many financiers were like, no, who is this person? And, you know, I was lucky enough that the director, Jennifer Kent, pushed for me, but I've also been on the other side of that where... I haven't got it for a whole bunch of reasons, and sometimes it's just because it's just not, you know, it went another way, as they say, the most hated phrase I think of all actors went another way. Um,
1: yeah.
2: But it's it's hard to, you can know that it's not a personal thing, but it's very difficult, especially when you get so close and you're like, but the director said.
1: <laughs> no, but she said, she said she's gonna cast me. Do you find like it must be an incredible confidence boost when you ha- when you have somebody like Jennifer Kent kind of going I, I want you for this, you know I see you as this and I'll do anything to get you in this.
2: Yeah, it's a really nice feeling, and um, especially as I said, because it's not something you get every day. Um, and I've had conversations with my agents. I have to say I'm pretty usually I, I don't I don't I, I have a great team. and I, I love my agents, but I'm not the kind of actress who's calling every day, kind of going, oh, "Is there anything out there?" Because I feel. You know, if there's something out there, if I get a good reaction or a bad reaction or whatever, they'll tell me. But I have recently, especially with this latest, no, painful, painful, no. um, I did have a conversation and, you know, they even said to me, yeah, it sucks. And there are a lot of people who don't have a huge amount of integrity in this job, but it happens at every level. You know, we have... Of our massive top clients who are in the same scenario that they really, really want to do a job and the director is kind of thinking it over and then they ultimately go with someone else because at the end of the day, only one person can get the job. But it is so, oh God, it's such a lovely feeling when it, when everything falls into place and someone's fighting for you and they actually win, which is what happened with Jen. I mean, I auditioned for that in February 2016 and we didn't start filming till the fall, follow- till March of the following year because they were really struggling to get, <laughs> The funding once he cast me, um, and and we had to kind of wait for someone like Sam Claflin to come along to be able to get some money behind us. Um, so uh, yeah, I got a that the whole process of the Nightingale actually gave me really insight into the long process of getting, especially an independent film made.
3: And then it must have been a, a tough film to shoot. How did you kind of prepare for the for the role?
2: Uh, it was a very difficult shoot yet. Um but <laughs> for many, many reasons which I'll get into later. But um you know, initially I was so anxious because when I got cast I think I eventually got cast in the June of twenty sixteen and you know the we weren't actually signing a contract because they didn't have a date, a shoot date or you know, you know, funding. So I kept thinking, oh, my God, is this going to be one of those projects that just falls apart, that gets so close and then just falls apart? Um, but in retrospect, having all that time was actually a massive blessing because it's so rare to get for a part like that, the, the adequate amount of time that you need, I feel, to really, really get as deep as you want to. Um, and so I had about nine months in which I could – well, I actually started prepping even before I got the role, but <laughs> um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I had nine months of – Devouring every documentary I could on, um, violence, especially violence against women and sexual violence, like PTSD. I read tons of books. I, you know, educated myself on the history of, I take not so much, I did eventually look at the history of, um, the Aboriginal population in, in Australia, which is obviously unbelievably horrific. But I initially wanted to focus more on what Claire's, my character's story would have been. So I focused very much on the, um, criminal, shall we say, uh, side of it, of it, um, which was so infuriating. I mean, we taught that in school, but they never go into how systematic it was of them bringing these, you know, thousands of people off the side of the world and they knew they never get back to their families for usually, or often anyway, incredibly petty crimes. And um, it was essentially just a, I don't know, a bid to populate the islands. So, uh, yeah, I did loads of research and then in terms of more practical things, I worked with a clinical psychologist. Who was working closely with us on the film called Dr. Lane Barrett? She was incredible. She deals with really heavy clinical cases of trauma and stuff, and and domestic abuse and violence. And we had innumerable conversations, right down to not just the psychological, but also physical manifestations of what some of some of the victims might go through. Um, they had to learn how to ride a horse because, um, oh, you you,
1: you lied about that on your CV, did you?
2: No, I actually hadn't. They were like, can you ride a horse? And I said, no. And they like, but you're Irish. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'd be roaming around the hills of Ireland on a horse just because so I'm Irish. But, um, uh, wood chopping, learning how to fire a musket, um, loads of cool stuff. Actually, wood chopping was amazing. Um, very cathartic. Really? Uh, yeah. Um, and then just tons of conversations with Jen, which meant that when we were actually ready to choose, Jen and I were on the same page, like, almost all the time. And so, yeah, that, so that was all the pre-seven. I kind of did a lot of, I did a lot of boxing as well, because Jen wanted me to have something that grounded me physically. And it had to look like this woman could survive well with the help of a tracker, otherwise she definitely wouldn't have, but like, at least have been tough enough to get through the bush with him. And, and, uh, yeah, and then it was just basically one amazing but grueling vlog.
3: What kind of time were you talking in terms of how much time did you have to prep?
2: Uh, I had about nine months to prep. Okay. Okay. um I, I, In terms of learning how to horse ride, that was about two weeks. <laughs> um, oh wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had an amazing teacher though. He's like a fourth generation horse ma- ho- film horse master in Australia, and um, and then what we I was down there for six months um, because it was a fifty four day shoot um 52 of those were on location. And, but, but Jennifer wanted me to go down earlier because we were also getting Bakely to come down because Bakely, incredibly, had never acted before. And so she wanted us to really get to know each other and kind of do a lot of workshop type stuff and, um, exercises in which we could, you know, build trust and all that. Um, so that we were again, you know, comfortable enough to know that when I was being horrific to his character, that it was obviously just part of the acting and, and um, also said that we could have time to hang out and become friends, which we did um, beforehand to add to that relationship in the movie. So it was a long time down there.
3: Yeah. And you, with all that research, you must have felt the real responsibility to the character and the story.
2: Yes, which was, I mean, I would have wanted to do that anyway. But one part of the research in particular really made me realize just how much of a responsibility it was when I was in Australia. Jennifer the psychologist and I went to um a center for domestic abuse um and rape and I got to talk with the social workers there but I also got to meet with some victims and it was then that I just realized wow these women have been so resilient and are so um they're, they're just such an inspiration but at the same time I, I really really have to do my best in this and I to accurately portray what they go through because it's not just i think in a lot of movies you know when you see victims of uh sexual violence it's just an isolated moment in the story to kind of make the rest of it make sense but what we really wanted to do with the nightingale was to show that it's not an isolated moment that then you move on from and then go and you know get your revenge or whatever it is you know it's something that has repercussions and you have to deal with post-traumatic stress disorder frequently you know for the rest of your life in some cases and um so yeah, meeting those women and, and not just actually not just the women, but I also had crew members share incredible incredibly private moments of pain with me in certain moments to kind of help me <laughs> with a scene, you know, um everyone was just so generous, but it did make me feel like I had a huge responsibility to kind of accurately portray what these people go through and how horrific it is and how we can't turn a blind eye, you know, when it's it's still going on. Mm,
1: absolutely. Um, maybe we might move on and kind of talk about some stuff you have coming up. Um, what was it like working with Kathy Bates on Delta?
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not sure what's happening with that movie. It was an indie. It was really good fun. Um Kathy and I only had a, a, one or two scenes together, but she is so lovely. I'm a big, big believer in, you know, I'm always mates with the crew. I love crews. I hate <laughs> anyone, like, pretending that they're in some way better than anyone else so of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. when I saw her on set it was just incredible she knew everyone's name the boom guy like um sound locations and she would when she was leaving say bye now bye and like using everyone's name and was just so lovely so professional but there was a moment where she was talking with the director after having done a really beautiful job in a scene and she was I, I just thought to myself oh my god it never ends like just feeling as an actor of was that good enough or is that what you wanted or, you know, doubting yourself or. Mm-hmm.
1: It often comes, it often comes up, it often comes up on the show The kind of the uh, imposter syndrome and stuff. Do you still like, I mean, you, obviously you're working to a really good standard now um, and you're in really good company, but it, th- do you have to check yourself every so often and go, no, I deserve to be here. You know, I, I, I you know, I've worked my socks off. Yeah. It never goes away.
2: To be honest, I will admit that with the Nightingale, because that process was so long and because I knew I had to fight my ass off for that role and like flew myself out to LA on my own dime to like, when I hadn't been working for ages, you know, to get the role. I, that, and I, you know, I did a two and a half hour call back with Jen where she put me through the mail. And I just thought, no, you know what? If I, if I don't get this one, I literally did everything I could. And like, I, I know I couldn't have given any more. But when I did get it, then I thought, okay actually the feeling when you know you could not have given any more and you worked your ass off for months even before getting the role that was one of the few times where I did think okay I actually do I do deserve this role Um, which is hard for me to say I think part because as we we as Irish people hate (laughs) saying that like we deserve something or we're proud of something or whatever it is it sounds like we're getting too big for our boots. but that's not really what it was at all it was just yeah a feeling of if you give literally every drop of everything that you have it's okay to say i'm at least worthy of the chance to get to prove that i deserved it and after the film after we finished filming again it was a similar thing i gave my blood guts and tears to that movie um and so the really nice payoff was that i didn't actually care what anyone thought about it genuinely and that does not happen with every project you know if i'm if I have moments of doubt about a project or whatever, I might think, Oh God, yeah, that what that person says, I kind of agree with it and I hate that we didn't fix that or whatever it is.
1: Mm-hmm. But with the
2: nightingale, I I was like, I don't care. I actually don't care. If people love it, great. If people hate it, I really don't care. As in I gave everything I could and I I'm really proud of it. Like I'm really proud of the film. And that's yeah. not something that you get at time, but but um yeah, it those moments are rare where I think, Okay, I I know I gave everything and I at least deserved to be there. I don't necessarily know that I did like an amazing job, but I, I, I deserve to be there. But most of the time it's, oh my god, what if, what if all those were just flukes and what if...
1: <laughs> what if they find me out? Well, what was it like working with uh, Franca Patenta? And if anyone is not familiar with uh, uh, Franca she uh, listeners of a certain vintage will remember *Run Lola Ron, um, a brilliant film, a German film from the from when was it called? Early nine, uh, late
2: nineties. Um, she's really cool.
1: What's it like working with uh, female directors,
2: by the way? Oh yeah, I've actually I've been very privileged, and I've worked with a lot of female directors. Um, so I, I mean, I love it. I think it's great, and I, it's a real. I know that like not that many people can say the same thing, but I half the time I've worked with half of my jobs. I think have been with um female directors. So, um. Yeah, it's, it's it's really awesome. Especially you know, recently actually I worked with um um Charlotta Bruce Christensen who is a DOP from movies like The Hunt with Mad Nicholson and um oh, wow. Quiet Place. And she was doing her first time as director and DOP on a BBC show. I finished just before Christmas. And she was that was one of those occasions where I just thought, have, I should have three kids <laughs> yeah. at home in a different you know, they moved um to England for the year so she could do the job and you know, she's a mother of three who gets up in the morning, so I braid the hair and then off to school, comes to work, does a whole day of not just being the director, but also the GOP. And it's kind of cool then to go, okay, I mean, she's a superwoman. <laughs> um, and it's, 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 it is really, particularly as a woman myself, it's nice to go, yeah, you can, there is a space for even someone who has a family or who seems obviously don't no have it all. But, you know, it's, it's it's not everyone has to make a choice between, career or family, you know, there are ways to make it work. And, you know, she kept the two, I mean, it's in the best way, very separate, you know, it's, um, sometimes the kids will come to visit, which is so lovely and it'll be a lovely surprise. But, you know, she was so professional and so honest and so immersed in her work. And then was also on the side being like an amazing mom at the same time. So from that point of view, it's, it's pretty incredible. And um, with Jennifer for the Nightingale, having a woman, I think was paramount to that story because Given the subject matter, I'm not saying that men obviously can't tell a very moving story about, um, sexual violence. And I'm focusing on that just because in the movie it's directed against a woman. There's also obviously all the horrific racially, racially motivated violence. But with Jen, you know, it was very much a female perspective of things that, like, she didn't, she wanted it all to be lived through Claire's eyes. You know, even though we shot it, there was no way, you can't say that it's in any way sexualized. You know, it's only ever on Claire's face or, Moments like where you see her holding her breast in pain because she has no way of expressing her milk and the double pain that that is, the physical pain and the emotional pain of having, spoiler alert, lost um, her <laughs> child. You know, those yeah. are all very, I think, quite... Oh, it's not impossible that a man could do that, of course not, but it's—it it, they were just moments that seemed completely necessary to her, which I, I think she was right to do. It really gave a very um, theme, real female perspective to the story. Um, but uh, yeah, so working with I've, I've but I I love working with anyone who I think is you know passionate about the story and about the work and who wants to give it everything that they have. I, I I've been blessed to work with women, but I'm also I love I love there are loads of men that I've worked with that I've loved working with and I would give anything to work with again. So
1: what's it like being a Irish woman working in kind of the graduate? Obviously, over the last couple of years, more increasingly in the American system.
2: Uh, that's a really good question. I don't know if I've got a good answer to that. And well, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes I think, sometimes I have moments of doubt where I think maybe I should have stayed in Ireland or the UK a bit longer to kind of establish myself there in Ireland, like at home, because I don't feel like, Um. well, obviously because I'm from the outside, like I love a lot of Irish work that's coming out at the moment and I, and I really want to be a part of it, but then I also feel like I haven't been a part of that circle in a long time, so... I wonder if it's just my perception. I'm like, Oh, I wonder, does like anyone know that I exist there, you know, in, in the Irish industry? And then I moved to England. But then after that again, I thought, well, I really like it here and I, and I love London, but now I want to try the state. So I, I don't, I feel like I'm just a bit of a wanderer, not, not being Irish necessarily, but I mean, obviously I'm very proud of being Irish, but I, I've kind of constantly, um, tried to, this is going to sound bad, but I don't mean in a bad way. Not distance myself from being Irish, but it used to bother me when at first in the UK it would seem like they would only be willing to cast you as the Irish part <laughs> in the show yeah. or whatever it was, or audition you for like the Irish actor. And you think you've got a person from Manchester doing an RP accent, like that's as bad about as different as me doing, you know, it's, it's the same as me from Ireland doing an RP accent. Like that, I don't see why I can't put on an accent and be conceivably another character, you know, just because I'm Irish. But I have to say, I was quite lucky in that regard in that because obviously the fall was one of the first jobs I did and, you know, that wasn't my accent. So I think that that kind of helped me not be pinpointed of just Irish in, in terms of characterization. Um, in terms of being going in the room, people are over here in the States, people love Irish people. So from that point of view, it's good. And
3: um, yeah, I was just going to say because other actors on the show have said that about in, England especially, or London, that they do seem to have a bit more of a hang-up on wanting, not wanting people to do accents, but in America, they, they don't seem to. Is that, is that your experience?
2: Yeah, um, I feel like I'm talking so much by the way, I'm sorry. No,
1: <laughs> that's what people want to hear.
3: Yeah, they do, they're sick of us, they want to hear us.
2: I agree, actually. I think in the States, their, their attitude is, If you can, if you can, if you can convince us, like, that you're not, if we don't hear the accent, then we don't care. If you can do the accent and you do a good performance, great. Like, they really don't have this kind of, yeah, but you're not really American, so. (laughs) Um, yeah, I, I definitely think they're more open to it. It also is because if you can, they're, I, I say I've met very lovely people here. They're not always the best at hearing accent differences. (laughs) Um, so maybe that's also been a point in their favor. Although I do think that I can do an American accent, but um, yeah. I remember they were like, so the casting director was like, so we think that you should do like, you know, like a British accent. And I was like, okay, what well, what do you mean? Like, do you mean you want like a posh English accent? Or and he's like, yeah, yeah, just your own. I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna give you what I think you want, which is like a posh British accent. <laughs> um, so yeah, in terms of their view of whether you're Irish or English really doesn't matter, yeah. Accents because they
3: don't tend to hear it, which is a huge plus, obviously. Yeah, it's funny. I think we're obsessed with, uh, we I think we're obsessed with accents in Ireland and England. I think because like you go twenty miles on either of these islands, and the accent is completely different. But you can go a thousand miles in America, and it's the same accent.
2: Yeah, they're like really similar. It's true. Also, the people move around here so much as well. You know, um, mm. I mean, obviously there are the distinctive ones like a Brooklyn one or a Southern accent or whatever, and there there are differences. But um on the whole, it, it's kind of that thing of I, I I've always found the accent thing so weird. Anyway, though, when they say things like oh, a standard Irish accent, you're like, what does that mean? I I don't, mm. I don't know what you mean. I mean, I do in a sense, but it kind of I'm a bit of a A stickler in the sense that I would rather they say, "Can you do a even if it was like a region, like west of Ireland or northern, you know?" That then I kind of go, "Okay, that actually helps me." If you just tell me a very general, um, yeah, a general, a general country, it doesn't really uh, help that.
1: Do you have Do you have any kind of words of wisdom that you'd kind of give to yourself starting out, if you could go back in time? I know it's tough. You're not that far ahead, but uh, but you know, particularly when you know things things would start to happen for you.
2: Um, it's gonna sound grim, but I don't mean it to. I mean it as a kind of a just keep going type attitude. That it doesn't ever stop the fighting for a role. I at least in my experience, I know there are people who are very lucky, um, and who've you know, maybe done one show that's like really landed and therefore they have a profile and everything kind of is a bit rosier from then. But my experience, because I've tended to be quite uh picky <laughs> about what I like, obviously there have been times when I've done jobs because I just need to work and that is totally valid. Um, but I've said no more than I've said yes. And I don't know if I've always made the right decision, but That has meant that obviously the roles that you go for are usually the ones that everyone wants because they're good. And so, yeah, that just, just because it seems like it's a one long fight that there are moments where you kind of get a win on your side. And, and that, as you said, the doubting thing, it it doesn't go away and that's okay because I think if you stop doubting yourself, not doubting like whether you can do it, but doubting Uh, whether your performance is up to scratch, I think leads you down a path to kind of, you know, not striving to be better every time you work.
3: I guess it's, is it a case of kind of, you know, you just want to look back on your body of work and be, be proud of it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you know, sometimes the truth is it's just so unpredictable. I mean, I did a job, I won't mention names. but I did a job where I was going into it going, well, you know, I signed up, and it was one thing. And then when I signed up, it turned into a very different thing. And during it, I was like, oh, God, like, I am not into this. Whatever. And, like, I, I did my best, because obviously then you think, well, you better than I can be at least by your own performance, like, the work that you put into your own performance. But then, and I thought it was going to bomb. <laughs> and then it was actually really well received. You know, so... <laughs> You, can't,
1: you, you, you never can tell.
2: Yeah, you never can tell. And then there are loads of other things, like where, you know, you you do a project and everything, like the script is great and you think that there are great people involved and then for whatever reason, it doesn't quite come out the way that you had hoped it would and you kind of have to be, well, I'm working on being okay with those aspects of the job. Or even, as I said, the one that I learned early on with... Um, With course, you know, that you can go into something and think that it might have a certain effect on your career afterwards. And that's not necessarily always the case. I mean, I'm so thrilled that I I mean, the best job I've I've been a part of so far has untitled been The Nightingale. And it's one of those jobs that will be, I think it's, it has spoiled me because for a long time afterwards, I was reading scripts going, yeah, but it's not The Nightingale. (laughs) Like it's not at that level. But at the same time, you know, a lot of people find that movie so heavy going that they, it was it was, it was was an openly hard sell. I mean, it, it was hard to sell that film because for obvious reasons. Um, but I'm so glad that I had that as my calling card, but it definitely wasn't a situation... People beforehand, I think, were all grappling, you know, and they were big names going for that role because I think that they thought, oh, like, it'll... It, it's, like, one of those roles that will kind of give your... Eye- well, for people who are already well-established, give them a very gritty role kind of show... And for people who weren't, it was like, oh, this will really kind of put me out there. And in, in a way, it did, but not to the extent that I think, you know, say maybe certain people in my family, because Dan obviously had a huge falling from the Babadook or whatever, so I think people thought, oh, like, it'll be a hit <laughs> like the Babadook. But yeah. it's not the yeah. same kind of material, and so... Yeah,
1: I think it's, surely, I think it's, it, it's, it's going to be one of those movies that over the years grows, and it'll be like a, like a massive staple in anybody's career that were involved in it, insofar as it'll open so many doors you know in a straw dogs way or in a you know like a a really solid genre piece i think it'll 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 stand the test of time
2: i know that i mean it you know it didn't the the public shall we say the public the general public i mean i think most people wouldn't have a clue who i am or whatever but from an industry point of view i'm i'm delighted that i was able to you know, I have, I have something now that I can send to people if they think, oh, but can she carry a movie as a lead person, as like a lead actress or whatever? And you can send the film and let them decide for themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's a huge, a huge thing to have. And obviously having Jennifer Kent's name on my CV is a, is a huge thing to have. So my point wasn't that it, it hasn't, you know, in a certain way, obviously it's, it's a part the fact that I would have just done it anyway. I remember that before they signed the contract, I was like, just tell them I'll do it for free if that's the issue. <laughs> um... <laughs> I just wanted to do it because it, I, I don't know something about the story, and someone gently told me to want to do it. But there have certainly been benefits, but on a scale that wouldn't necessarily be as um, obvious from the outside, if that makes sense. And um, so, yeah, I think always being aware that like you just connect, you never can tell. Yeah. Uh,
1: so, can you tell us what is happening on the horizon without breaking any contractual obligations? They have?
2: Um, in terms of actual work.
1: Well, there's nothing
2: happening right now. <laughs> yeah, and also just lost out on that. Oh, that painful one recently. But um, the uh, I did a show called Black Narcissus, which was an adaptation of the novel, which was also a movie from 1947. Um, the Pressburger movie. Um, but that's coming out. I I'm not sure. later this year, I think probably in the winter. And that was the one that I did with um Charlotta and Jenna Artson and Sandra Nivella and Kimball people very cool people um and that was that was really really good fun we went to the himalayas it's set in the 1930s we're a bunch of nuns and i am playing sister ruth in it which is both scary and (laughs) um yeah it's scary because you know it's one of those films that for film books is just an iconic film and role but i just had to decide that i would yeah, I went a very different way to how it's done in the film, because I thought, well, A, I don't want to try and like <laughs> copy a very iconic role, and B, I decided to go from the source material. You know, we did an adaptation of the novel, not a remake of the film, yeah. so um I had to go from the source material. But I know that Martin Scorsese is like a massive fan of Black Narcissus, so in a world where you imagine him potentially seeing it,
1: hey, he's going to see it, he's going to see it. <laughs>
2: He actually saw the Nightingale, which I am very happy to know, and he really liked it. Oh. So if that's all that came from it, that's great. Amazing. But, um,
3: and I just saw the first episode of I Know This Much Is True. You're that was just just released here, so I think are you, you're coming up in that.
2: Yeah, I I'm only in a couple of scenes, but it was uh, like talked about earlier when I mentioned um, male directors that I would kill to work with again, Derek. Oh my God, I. Loved working with him. He, yeah, Derek's in France, yeah. He, I mean, I wish, initially when I read the script, the role was a bit more sizable, but then by the time they got around to filming, obviously they had to make edits because it's like six hours of screen time, but they'd probably written a script that was <laughs> way longer than that. But, um, I, I've said, I said to Derek after I finished filming, I said, if you want to cast me even as a tree in the background, <laughs> in the next movie, I'll do it because he's just, and I, it, I, I always feel a bit like, corny when I talk about the the work process but whatever I'll be corny um, he it was so much fun so I play a younger um, Catherine Han and I rang her before, you know, going to bed and kind of thinking, oh, like, you know, what's he like? And she's like, you know, you can, he will let you, they were filming on film as well, by the way. And he was like, she's like, you like he's got to go and go and go. And you can improv and do whatever you want. And do, and I, and she's like, well, oh, you don't have to. You can just skip, stick to the script if you want to. And I was thinking, well, I already can't do that if everyone's like throwing out great improv. <laughs> so I was so nervous. Also, because it had been, I, I didn't like to, yeah, i sound about this, but like I had a massive, the driest spell of my career after finishing The Nightingale. And um so I had, well, I, I did a Nat Geo show, but after that, I didn't work for a year and four months. And I had not worked in a long time. So I was freaked out by the process. But actually, he is, a good actor's director that he really kind of set up the set of the you know set up the scene and set up the parameters of what he wanted and then he would like let you go and this I mean I think one time we did like a 10 minute take where I was literally just making stuff up as we went along and we're filming on film here you know so um and and he would just kind of come up to me and be like okay like I want you to do something oh. that viruses such and such or like I want you to you know and so <laughs> it was actually really really good fun and he really just waited for those, you know, he's obviously never going to use those 10 minutes of a scene, but he does it because he knows that it takes time to get little moments of, and um, if I was being super cool, I'd say magic, but like little moments of truth. shall we say, um, yeah, it takes time to build those. It's not like, you know, I've worked some other jobs where time is money, which is on everything, but it's been like two takes and like, okay, cool. We'll move on. Even if the, the take was not particularly good, you know, um, so working with someone who is very much about the performances is always a real privilege
3: cool well i guess that is a good place to leave it um thanks so much it was an absolute pleasure talking to you
2: yeah, thanks i don't know if I, I actually don't remember what i said so i think i just stumbled. <laughs> i'm not sure i hope it was coherent in some way no and absolutely
1: and and, and the, the audio didn't drop out once which is fantastic um okay. yeah well, yeah thanks so much it's uh it's Number one, it's great to see a you know a, um, young female actor doing so really well as well. So we wanted to uh, kind of send that message back down to everybody else kind of starting out as well. So it's really gratefully uh, appreciated. Thanks so much. Very good. You're very good.
2: <laughs> like what it says on your Skype handle. Very yeah. good.